Welcome to the Qualitox podcast. I'm the Google host and my guest today is Daniel Milik. Daniel is a specialist in computer system validations, data integrity and QMS systems. And today we are going to talk to him about data integrity. We're going to cover the basics of it and uh, explain why it is uh, really important right now and uh, we'll give tips on how companies uh, should behave around it what do they should do for best compliance and the biggest mistakes that companies do with data integrity so they can fix it so let's get to it daniel welcome to the qualitox podcast i'm excited to have you on the show and uh, i want to talk to you about data integrity yeah well thanks uh, for inviting me uh Jan. it's good to uh Good to be here and um, makes a change uh, for having someone who actually wants to talk about uh, data integrity <laughs> yeah. for a change. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> why, why is that? Is it, is it that uh, people just uh, don't understand it enough and or they're uh, a bit intimidated? Well, um, where that statement comes from is uh, really thinking about uh, this I work a lot with uh, laboratory systems and uh, to some extent uh, production factory systems and of course the users um, from their perspective they just want to use their software they just want to use their uh, robot they just want to use their uh, machine in the factory data integrity um, people are getting more training uh, in pharma companies uh, and there are a lot more, uh, the people working in those companies are a lot more uh, aware of it and why it's important. Um, but typically, um, for the users, it kind of gets in the way. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a case of, can you just validate my system uh, so I can use it as soon as possible? <laughs> so the data integrity side of things, although people know it's important, it kind of slows things down. So people can be a bit reluctant when it comes to data integrity, mm-hmm. although so, that's changing. Do you think it's uh, because they don't understand the, the importance of data integrity? Partly, and um, work pressures, um, you know, with metrics on, um, you know, production, how fast can we do things, um, how much throughput can we get through the factory, the laboratory, and so on. Um, anything that slows a business down can sit badly with people. But of course, working in the pharmaceutical industry, people know that they have to do things the right way. But yeah, I think it can get on people's nerves a little bit um, because it slows them down. Yeah, so it's understandable. What, but why is data integrity so important, especially right now? Well, really, um, it ultimately comes down to patient safety. Um, you know, we're working in an industry uh, that is manufacturing and selling medicines to people and you, those medicines must be made correctly it's really about making claims isn't it so you know if if I make a claim and say there is uh, x milligrams of paracetamol in this tablet um, I have to be able to substantiate that claim you know just using that as a simple example, whenever we make a claim about a medicinal product, 
we have to be able to show, be able to demonstrate and show evidence that that claim is true. With respect to data integrity, the production of that medicine, the testing of that medicine, and ultimately the release to market of that medicine must have data to support that product release that is secure, true, reliable, not easily tampered with. And so really, yeah, patient safety. And how does it look uh, from a compliance side in the last years? Because as I, as I know it, uh, FDA and other agencies really uh, concentrate on it in the last years. Yeah, I think what's happened is um, certainly over the last decade, there's been a lot more talk about data integrity. There are various reasons for that. We did see a increase in the production of medicinal products and testing of medicinal products from coming from Asia, uh, particularly China and India. Uh, going back a few years, we're getting a lot of uh, quality audit findings, warning letters from the FDA, um, quite a big proportion of which were data integrity related. That was one part of what was going on. And then at the same time, the software packages that were becoming available, whether it's for factory, you know, SCADA, HMI systems, uh, PLCs, you know, uh, integrated complex uh, factory systems, and then also in the laboratory as well. Uh, the software packages are becoming much more sophisticated with the features that allow, um, with some configuration, tailoring of settings, um, allow a really compliant workflow where data integrity, um, good practice is enforced rather than controlled by procedure, for example. So it was a combination of, of things, sophistication of software, more audits being conducted, more warning letters being issued, more audit findings uh, uh, with respect to deficiencies in data integrity. And that really created uh, an environment where a lot of focus was placed on data integrity and has been in the, in, in the last decade and the la certainly in the last few years. Uh, so you sent me a few slides uh, that uh, should be interesting. Uh, uh, so we had one about uh, uh, the compliance worldwide. Uh, do you want to talk about it uh, right now? Yeah, sure. Um, so yeah, I, I sent you a, yeah. a slide um, that shows global uh, non-compliances. Yeah. Um, and it's an, it's an old metric. It's 2016. Yeah. But yeah, to be there honest, is... it, 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 it's very much uh, still relevant today, this year, uh, last year. And, well, the, the, the pattern is the same. Yeah. So what we see is, um, as I already mentioned, uh, India and China with, with a lot of non-compliances being found. Um, and then you have the, the mix of other countries um 
has sort of changed the, the mix has changed but it's kind of the same countries in the in in that sort of uh, top group if you like of, of non-compliance has been found and a, a a vast proportion of those um are quality management system related data integrity related um so i mean that metric is a, is a good one is a good one that shows just how much focus there has been on data integrity in the last few years. Mm-hmm. And the mostly impacted are China, India, or also European and USA. So I see here that 70 percent is this, so. Is, is this all a non-compliance here? The data integrity non-compliance or all non-compliance in general? That we're in 2016. All non-compliances. Okay, 35 percent of it is. Uh, is that integrity? Yeah, and I think what's happened is because there's been so much focus on data integrity uh, over the last few years, auditors are a lot more um, focused on it. It's more in their minds. They uh, are much more savvy um, in terms of how to go into audits and ask pointed questions even right down on the system level, not just the quality management system level, but the laboratory system level, the factory system level, to really uh, tease out in an audit, has this system been validated correctly? Has it been uh, configured and tailored with data integrity in mind? Mm-hmm. Um, so I think... What's happened is, is that the more generally more audits have taken place in the last few years, like year on year. There's more and more audits, um, and then because of the focus on data integrity, therefore we see an increase in the proportion of data integrity findings from the whole. Okay, and where which departments are impacted from those compliance problems the most? So would it be like quality control, manufacturing, uh, in general quality management system, uh, and so on? Or, or yeah, all it... of those, all of those. Um, quali- a, a lot of audit findings are falling under the quality management system banner, uh, but definitely QC, uh, definitely production, where um certainly in terms of fda warning letters where you know quality control has been me- specifically uh, mentioned as, as the problem uh production has been specifically mentioned as the problem and then yeah more broadly as the deficiencies in the quality management system um but yeah it's uh, the picture that you will have shown um the trend uh, remains today even though that metric is from a few years ago so um, uh, for the people who are not uh, uh, watching and just listening, so we have here a, a, a graph uh, or a metric that shows that 35% of all the violations uh, uh, had, uh, are data integrity violations. And uh, it's uh, quite a huge impact, huge percentage. And uh, uh, that's why it's important uh, really to uh, look into the issues uh, because it would probably be much uh, harsher in the future. Uh, also, because uh, many companies go through digitalization process and uh, 
they go into a digital transformation and uh, even uh, smaller companies uh, get themselves QMS and it's really important to understand uh, what uh, what's happening and what uh, does it really mean data integrity and what you need to pay attention to uh, especially like now there are so many technological advances uh, that uh, when you buy some new equipment to the lab so uh, probably uh, most of it has uh, uh, it records the data and uh, you can export the data you can maybe change the data and uh, you really need to understand what you what actions you need to take to make sure that you are uh, compliant with the regulations sure that, absolutely and um, there was another slide uh, that I sent you uh, Jan and we, and we talked about um, is the fraud triangle mm -hmm. we numbered it as uh, slide 5 Okay, so we have here so, a triangle that says the pressure, opportunity, rationalization. Yeah, so clearly there will always be pressure in a workplace. Um, and then rationalization is, you know, the, the human mind and quality culture comes into play with rationalization. You know, people doing the right thing, uh, people justifying their actions, maybe choosing to do the wrong thing. Um, but the one that is really important to talk about with respect to data integrity is opportunity. And what we see with modern, sophisticated uh, software packages that are really geared for pharma use is we see in those that we can tailor the settings, we can configure those software packages to force human behavior. So what we do in terms of people's ability to falsify data, to fabricate reports, you know, all of those terrible things that, that have happened, through software controls, we can reduce the opportunity. We take the opportunity away from the individual. Um, by forcing, by funneling their behavior. So, you know, we have procedures uh, as well, but procedures rely on the users doing the right thing. But through a good software configuration, we can force users to use that software in a particular way, in the most compliant way. So yeah, that, that I thought that was worth mentioning at that point, that, you know, that, and it goes back to what I was saying before about the sophistication of software mm. uh, in the last few years. You know, vendors are really, uh, you know, vendors that sell a lot to the pharmaceutical industry. They're really getting their software packages to a point now where they can be really made to be compliant once uh, the, the settings are configured properly. Let's uh, the, let's talk about the most important uh, definitions. Uh, so what is uh, really data integrity? So uh, it is a really big word. So uh, what's behind it? Yeah, it's really, I think uh, it's, it's very useful to think about data integrity on the process uh, system level. Um, so what we're saying with, with a, a process having good data integrity uh, and most definitions that you'll find out there, whether it's from uh, the FDA, the MHRA, PICS, uh, GAMP, the definition is pretty much the same. The data is complete, consistent, 
accurate um, while that data is in play, so throughout the data lifecycle. Um, and then, so if you look at like the World Health Organization definition and also the FDA definition in their data integrity Q&A, they kind of take it a little bit further and they start to talk about Alcoa as well. So that the data is complete, consistent and accurate throughout its life cycle, but also that uh, the data has the qualities of Alcoa. So that's a useful acronym um, that I'm sure a lot of your viewers will be aware of. Uh, it's an important acronym when we talk about data integrity that the data has certain attributes, um, that the data is attributable. So who did it? It's legible, so it's, the data is clearly presented. It's contemporaneous, which is a, a great word to use in, uh, in the pharma industry. You know, the, when it was done, that the data is traceable, so attributable and contemporaneous. Those two are, you know, we start to think about audit trails, uh, who did it, when. Uh, that the data is original, um, and we'll come on to a bit more about metadata and dynamic data in, in a little while, I guess, um, and that the data is accurate as well. Um, all of those uh, things really must be there for, for data to, to, to be described as having good data integrity. Um, and that can be taken a little bit further as well. Um, you know, you hear people talking about Alcoa Plus, so it's all of those things that I said, plus a few more things like complete, that the data is complete, consistent, enduring, that it's readily available. And we can really add, I've seen, you know, guidance documents and people talking about Alcoa Plus where they add loads of things. It's really those attributes that the data has um, that make it um suitable data um suitable i mean in terms of um data that is sort of worthy of uh, being associated with a medicinal product. i mean ultimately again we go back to patient safety you know for a medicinal product the data whether it's test data manufacturing data manufacturing records um it's got to be true um we have to be able to demonstrate that the ability of the user, whether it's in the factory, the laboratory, the ability of the user to adulterate, manipulate that data is really at a minimum. Which parameter is the most difficult to adhere to or which ones usually fall through and uh, are the most difficult to make sure that they're compliant? Ah, good question. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, I mean, the first thing that comes to mind there is, although I've talked about um, how much the software packages have really come on in the last few years in their sophistication and the ways that they can be configured, to be good compliance software packages, um, a lot, you know, so, uh, quite a lot of the vendors uh, out there are still not really quite there. You know, the software packages are still uh, quite deficient and don't really have the features that you would want to see for a pharmaceutical software app. 
uh, is there the reason that the uh, the packages are not good enough because many of the uh, of the equipment is not dedicated for pharma it's analytical equipment or it's uh, used uh, for in, in universities and in manufacturers for uh, raw materials that are not pharmaceuticals and uh, it's uh, just uh, uh, the packages uh, the security and so on it's uh, not there because the manufacturers uh, just uh, maybe don't uh, input enough resources uh, because maybe the pharma uh, is uh, not big enough of a client for it or what is the reason for that yeah i mean uh, absolutely i've seen that before um from a couple of vendors where you know the the the, the market share of their products in terms of uh, pharma use is it could be you know 10% so they've just not invested the resource you know whether it's money time programming um to really uh, as as you've iterated uh, to get those software packages uh, fit for pharma use that's certainly one thing and also uh, there are quite a lot of vendors where their products are really more geared for research um historically you know used for in so more of the molecular biology uh, cell biology uh, lab systems is what i'm thinking of in terms of what i've worked on where really the vendors um they they just do not or have not operated within the pharmaceutical territory before uh or they're only just starting to the last couple of years so they're sort of lagging behind that's 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 really what's going on with so so in terms of which one is the most difficult to achieve you were talking about alcoa um i wouldn't pick out one i would say it's very it can be a real challenge to uh set systems up um to get good data integrity when you have those software deficiencies um so it's kind of all of the alcoa things really it it can be difficult to achieve when you're kind of working with software that's not great mm-hmm. i mean there's ways to compensate for that uh, through procedural controls there are certain things you can do uh, with windows um or whatever other operating systems in play um you know to to restrict the pc um to prevent people from accessing uh, key system files through the c drive you know all 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 those sorts of things um so yeah the biggest challenge for me certainly the last few years has, has been deficient software packages where they've just not been written uh, in such a way that really allows you to tailor configure as you would really want to and uh, so what what is uh, the work around should the companies uh, uh, before they buy equipment really make sure that uh, it it is com- it is compliant uh, can it be that uh, there are no alternative for a certain equipment or would it be like uh, let's say uh, too expensive so what stops uh, uh, companies to really choose the right equipment that would uh, uh, answer all uh, uh, you know all the requirements yeah absolutely um before 
you know any money spent any capital expenditure process uh is 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 gotten into um yeah absolutely companies users they must must be careful what they buy um there is a tendency amongst users of systems to really focus on the capabilities of the system uh, in terms of the capabilities that are not compliant. So they're, they're just the raw performance. Um, in, um, what I mean by that is, you know, how easy is it to use? Um, how good is it in my factory uh, operating this vessel? Um, how good is it in the laboratory for, uh, you know, doing my HPLC uh, assay? From Purely from a usability perspective, users are very much, uh, I found, focused on that, as you, as you can understand, because they've got a, their focus is on getting the work done. Um, and sometimes, yeah, when things are being, uh, systems are being purchased, the compliance elements can all too easily be overlooked. Um, even to the point where it has been known where systems are rejected and sent back because the software just is so deficient that no amount of configuration or tailoring can, can get you to a point of uh, acceptable compliance um, absolutely URS uh, design qualification pilot study you know before uh, companies buy systems they should really uh, demo whether that's going to a vendor's facility having the vendor come to you um, I mean ideally the best thing is get you know if it's if we think about a laboratory system, get the vendor to bring you one. Have it have it in your lab for uh, four, five, six weeks. Um, if they're serious about selling you one, then quite often they're willing to do that. There's no substitute for hands-on assessment. Is there a lack of risk analysis uh, that uh, people uh, lack? Uh, maybe uh, understanding what they should look for and they don't uh, take it uh, in account when they do the risk analysis uh, for the equipment. Yeah, yeah, and um, amongst users, there there is that, and also uh, a lack of uh, knowledge amongst users as to what features really need to be in a software package um, to then facilitate compliant use and good data integrity. Um, certainly, uh, factory people, laboratory people quite often I found they could do with a bit of extra training, no disrespect to them, <laughs> um, a bit of extra training um, to really know what features there need to be in software um, to allow a, a good compliant configuration to, to be teased out. Mm -hmm. yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So I think also with uh, data integrity, so we have uh, several problems. We have uh, like um, direct intentional falsifications that uh, people can do. 
then we have uh, maybe a lack of technical skills and uh, awareness and, and competence. Uh, but I think it uh, it probably comes together when uh, there is one uh, smart guy who uh, researched the system and, and played with it and he suddenly found a way to falsify it while his managers are completely not aware uh, about this problem. So, uh, so it's probably one of the issues that uh, there should be a system owner that really knows the system from A to Z and really... Uh, yeah, talks uh, to the manufacturer and make sure that uh, everything is covered. Otherwise, uh, somebody will definitely find some uh, loopholes or find some uh, settings uh, that are were not covered. That uh, maybe some other management team are not aware of. Yeah, absolutely. And it's those those people who are good at studying software. Um, finding the weaknesses, uh, the back doors. Um, it's those people that you really want studying your software, uh, to, to, to put it, to put it bluntly. Um, those kinds of people really make for good validators, uh, good trainers and good process owners, system owners, um, they can be very difficult to find, though. Um, you know, the, to have... So if, if we think about laboratory systems, you really need somebody who has a laboratory background so they can put it... They can put the software and its use, the system use into context, that they can think about the system from the user's perspective uh, and they thoroughly understand the workflow, what the system's for, um, but also to have that person who's quite IT aware as well and also has the validation skills and the uh, maybe the audit experience as well it really helps because, uh, you know, it's really when you're sat in an audit and the auditor says, okay, talk me through the validation of the system, show me the configuration, talk me through the configuration. Uh, and it does happen, you know, a lot of companies don't really get that or haven't had that system level order yet, but um, I've been at a couple of companies where they have, you know, um, and not just customer audits, regulatory uh, audits. Um, so, yeah, having the right pair of eyes uh, on, a, on a software when it's being assessed is absolutely crucial. And there is no substitute for that hands-on assessment you know, sometimes the vendor will say, well, here's the brochure, uh, and they maybe answer some questions about the software in an email uh, that allows you to decide whether it's got the right features or not. But really, it's not until someone, like we've described, gets their hands on the software that you can really stress test it, you know, really yeah. explore it. Yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's, it's, it's crucial, really. Exactly. So uh, usually you, in, uh, in the software, the, you usually have the uh, QA. When you develop a software, you have the QA that uh, what they do, they basically look for bugs and the problems with the system. And um, I think uh, maybe it's uh, what's a bit uh, like it's sometimes that somebody with more uh, software skills, more uh, understanding that comes and just uh, uh, 
plays with the system to see what he can break with it with the intention to really stress it as you say and uh, i'm not sure it's if it's uh, really uh, uh, done because i think that people uh, when they buy equipment they do the uh, user requirements and uh, uh, they uh, they review it and they, as you said they just want to uh, to uh, get the work done so they don't think uh, about uh, data integrity so the lab manager when he buys the uh, equipment uh, they probably don't uh, uh, let people play with it uh, beforehand uh, uh, for a few days few weeks uh, to see the vulnerabilities uh, for the system so uh, should uh, this yeah. change from your perspective um yeah i think you know the sort of systems we're we're thinking about when we when when we talk about pharma this pharmaceutical industry none of those systems are really cheap you know they, some of them can be relatively cheap but they're, they're all still pretty big money mm-hmm. um so yeah got to be careful what you buy uh why spend a big chunk of money on something that's not ever going to really be good enough um and also you know important to think about what that system might look like in two three four five years time you know is the vendor going to be supporting it that long are there going to be software updates software support is that going to be there so you know there's, there's the, all the functional stuff but then there's all the uh, vendor support uh, to think about as well um But really, you know, it's um, not to not to say that the usability of a system uh, must come secondary to the compliance of the system. It's really a balancing act. So what's crucial at that stage, at that purchasing stage, is that the, uh, the compliance people or person, whether they work in validation or quality, IT function uh, or whether they're a senior uh, laboratory uh, person or a lab manager who's quite good with IT and software they really need to work closely at that stage with the users um, because it's a joint decision you know the the, the, the the systems have to be usable efficient but also the compliance features need to be there So those sorts of purchasing decisions should really be uh, a team effort. And also not forgetting IT as well, because, you know, modern systems, quite often we have to consider uh, the fact that the database may be on the server, uh, compatibility with the business where Windows setup needs to be considered, You know, some companies are using virtualized PCs, Citrix servers and things like that. Um, is the software compatible? You know, you, you could, if you're not careful, a pharma company end up purchasing something that isn't even compatible with your IT infrastructure. So it has to be a joint decision. And, uh, you know, capital expenditure processes should have the relevant sections so that those people are consulted at the purchasing stage. Exactly. So involve also the IT when you uh, do the purchase and the risk analysis and so on. So uh, 
as uh, I always say, when you do risk analysis, always work uh, with a uh, with a team uh, of people from uh, various departments. And uh, when you buy equipment, IT uh, must be uh, sitting at the table because uh, they should know if the system is compatible, if it can be harmonized with other systems. And uh, generally, uh, I think when you buy systems today, you need to make sure that you can harmonize them with your other QMS uh, systems, that uh, maybe there is uh, some equipment that is maybe a bit more expensive but can automatically synchronize with your uh, other uh, systems uh, beside limbs and so on it can save you a lot of time and money in the future so and it can really help with that all right yeah absolutely yeah when we think about uh interface with uh, limbs uh you know the way that the uh the way that the company wants to move in the future, can the software um, move with that vision? Um, yeah, absolutely. Compatibility, future proofing needs to be considered. Um, and, you know, it's like, for example, you know, a software package, and I've seen this before, a software package could be absolutely great in virtually all respects, usability and, and uh, with many of the uh, things that you would like to see uh, in terms of functions. So things like configurable user roles, uh, e-signatures, um, you know, uh, the ability to administrate a way from the lab, so having the user management properly separated out so that the lab users can't get in there. Um, but then I've, I've seen it where software packages have all of those things, but then you look at the audit trail and the audit trail could be terrible. <laughs> um, and it's, you know, you can end up in situations where it can be a bit of a shame because it, you know, if the audit trail was just better, for example, um, it could have been something that that company could have purchased. Um, and, and then sometimes the audit trail is fine, but then, you, you know, the user roles aren't configurable enough. So you can't really prevent users from uh, doing certain actions that they shouldn't really be able to do and so on. So, yeah, you know, and this already goes back to what you were saying about deciding what to buy. You know, you've got to be so careful, and there are so many um, there are so many software functions to consider that really you've got to get your hands on the software. Really have a good click a good click around, spend some time with it, um, and really know where it's good, where it's not good, and then make a, a purchasing decision based on that. Okay, uh, so when you buy equipment, uh, uh, what you really need to consider? So how does a good uh, a data integrity process or workflow looks like? So you buy an equipment, yeah. what do you need to take into account? What uh, what must the equipment, the software do? Yeah, so I guess, you know, if the workflow uh, isn't there, if if you if you can never get the workflow that you want, it doesn't. It, it's kind of it's finished at that stage, isn't it? So 
It's important to be very clear at the URS stage. Uh, what do we want this system to do? And make sure that all of those things are there. I find it quite helpful to actually have, and this is an approach that I've used a few times in the past, to actually have a separate URS hardware and software. So, you know, you can have all of your, uh, say, laboratory instrument performance requirements um, and physical requirements um, for that laboratory instrument in one URS, and then all of the software uh, requirements in, this, in another one. Um, and also the IT infrastructure uh, requirements as well. And it keeps it nice and neat and separate because some URS can be very messy um, and also can be very sparse as well. So, if, I mean, what I mean by that is in terms of software URS, um, quite often what you'll see is a, a, is kind of like one requirement um, that the software must be 21 CFR Part 11 compatible or mm. compliant, and that's it. Um, not not enough. You know, there needs to be much more granularity. You know, it's not just about electronic records and electronic signatures, uh, which is obviously uh, 21 CFR Part 11. Uh, although that's obviously very important. Um, I mean, the, the the template URS that I have, that I, I created, um, just for software, is there's like 32 individual requirements. Um, you know, configurable user roles, uh, the infrastructure compatibility stuff, uh, electronic signatures, uh, the tests are, uh, or pro tests, laboratory tests, factory processes, that once that process has gone to completion, the, the data is locked and can't be edited, um, that the audit trails are uh, sufficient and secure, um, and it goes on and on, you know. Um, if URS is good, then, really does put you on the front foot in terms of buying the right thing. Yeah, it's uh, quite funny to put uh, just one requirement, 21 CFR part 11, because uh, as we mentioned, not all um, not all manufacturers are pharma dedicated. It means that you tell them, okay, I want it uh, compliant, but that doesn't mean that they have their own experts that are uh, good enough to know each and single requirement that you just uh, uh, mentioned. And uh, that's a yeah, yeah. good idea to really list all the requirements and uh, really um, it's a very important also for your own checklist during yeah. the validation. Uh, yeah, and always look at and always look at multiple uh, multiple vendors if possible. You know, some systems are so specialized that there might only be one vendor, um, but quite often there are there are many uh, to choose from. So, okay, so for a chromatography data system uh, software, for example, um, look, look at a few, 
you know, decide which one you like best from a usability uh, point of view, but also really drill into the compliance features as well. Businesses should really look at what's available and, and, and not just go with the one that's cheapest, not just go with the one uh, that you're familiar with, you know, that sort of brand loyalty. Um, you know, the instrument is similar to the one we had before, so we just buy that one. You know, really got to do a lot of research to buy the right thing. Um, because in that ultimately, in that audit situation, and in terms of patient safety, um, you've got to have the best you can afford. Um, you know, the, the, it's, it, the pharmaceutical game is an expensive one uh, to be in. Um, and, you know, the, the right controls must be there to, to, to ensure patient safety. So companies always have to consider budget, of course. Um, and then in terms of uh, configuration and validation of systems and then ongoing maintenance of systems as well. Um, sometimes companies sort of bulk at the, the expense of having these systems, uh, people w working on these systems to configure and validate and then ultimately to maintain. And actually, um, maintaining systems once they're configured and validated and put into routine use, uh, having that really good process ownership of systems after they've been rolled out for routine use, that's where I see a lot of companies falling short because th there seems to be this misconception sometimes that, okay, we've, bought, we've spent the money, we've bought really good software, uh, we had these you know, clever people working on it, it's been configured to be efficient, the workflow's brilliant, the users love it, um, it's got all the compliance features, but then, the, but then afterwards, there's nobody maintaining the system mm -hmm. or doing mm -hmm. uh, periodic self-inspections to make sure that no one's uh, changed any of the validated uh, configuration settings. You know, getting out the configuration document and checking that all of the settings still match a year later uh, or two years later. And, uh, you know, having people as the point of contact for vendors uh, to consider patches, uh, hotfixes, version updates of software, you know, is, are you, do you have the software version that is the best one available for you at the moment? You know, all of, all of that sort of stuff. So it's, it's, it's an involved uh process to buy, validate, and roll out and maintain um, systems with good data integrity for sure. Um, but really, there's no excuse for not doing it um, now um, because, you know, everybody knows that the uh, software out there is, is sophisticated enough to give you the, quite often sophisticated enough to give you the data integrity that is expected in the pharmaceutical industry now. So you mentioned that... Um... Uh, people neglect sometimes uh, the maintenance and uh, the review uh, of the software life cycle and they don't uh, look into it. And uh, 
what uh, so usually it uh, lies on the QA department to do the audit and and, and make sure that uh, all the systems are maintained uh, so from your perspective if a company knows that they have neglected uh, the reviews of the softwares, uh, what steps should the quality assurance department take in order to review all their equipment and make sure that uh, it's uh, it's compliant? Um, data governance is absolutely key. So, and certainly if I was an auditor, Sorry about the siren. <laughs> um, it wasn't me. <laughs> um, pretty much the first thing I would ask is, please, can I see your data governance policy? Mm -hmm. Can you elaborate and, a bit about uh, the concept? Yeah, so really, okay, there's data integrity, um, but there's also data governance. So if we think we've talked about systems a lot, so far and really data integrity is is concerned with the quality of the data on in that sort of process level that system level data governance is more everything all of the controls and measures that you have uh, to govern how data is treated within your company it's really more about the quality management system um, and quality culture as well. Um, and a data governance policy should be quite clear and set out how you approach the control, the generation, the control, uh, the life cycles, you know, how effectively how data is managed within your company. And that should be in a policy. It's surprising how many pharma companies do not have a data governance policy. It's quite a shock, actually. Um, you've got to have one. Got to have one. And it would be the first thing I would ask to see, like I said. Um, if, if, if the data governance policy is good, and if people are thoroughly trained in that policy and everyone's thinking you know in terms of the quality culture if everybody's thinking this in the same way uh with regards to good data management then everything kind of every, all the good stuff kind of flows from there including all the things we talked about about the correct way to purchase things uh, to get good systems um good sops come as well, um, uh, employee awareness, the quality culture then comes without a clear and well-defined, uh, well-documented data governance policy. I, companies often end up doing the wrong things. Mm -hmm. So uh, this or, or, uh, review in the life cycle, should, it should be already in the uh, data governance policy then? Yeah, it should, should be a section within that policy. Um, and maybe, you know, it could point to more uh, specialized uh, documents, work instructions, SOPs, uh, that would instruct in 
you know, how that periodic review of a system is to be done uh, and what forms need to be used, who needs to be involved in that process. Um, because quite often, you know, it's the lab users, the factory users, uh, the IT, you know, to check that the uh, to check that automated backups have, have been executed successfully over a period of time. Um, the the you know from the user's point of view that the, there's no no terrible usability issues from a process owner point of view. Uh, I guess we should talk a little bit, Jan, about process ownership actually. Yeah, that's a good um, idea. It's important part and it's important um, yeah to, to have someone uh, with uh, this responsibility yeah and to really have dedicated people for that you know and they those people can come from different sources what i mean by that is sometimes process ownership including the periodic reviews of system use and making sure that the configuration, the validated configuration is still there. If there have been any changes to the validated configuration, that those have been managed under change control. Um, all of that good stuff, you know, like I said, the backups have been done. Um, the, the a review of audit trails uh, to make sure that there's nothing in there that's, you know, what's 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 happened there has that been explained that doesn't look normal you know stuff like that in the audit trail um all of those things really need to be managed by someone or a group of people that really have some focus on it not somebody who's just asked to you know by the way could you just do just do a bit of that as well um those people can be amongst the users um, and some people would probably react to that and say no you can't have the users uh, reviewing their own systems well they can be involved in that process um, maybe not manage the whole thing um, it's really a cross-functional effort um, the the people that end up being good process owners are as we said earlier, the people that kind of uh, make good validators. Mm. Uh, it's the people that have got the background in terms of the system in, in, in the, they've maybe used it on the user level before they've got the QA experience, some validation experience. Um, they're quite IT savvy. They make good process owners. Um, it's really having somebody or a group of people that can read that configuration document and thoroughly understand it um, every single detail um, and can act as good contacts for the vendors as well uh, for uh, software updates maintenance reporting of issues, troubleshooting, uh, procedural, you know, improving procedures where, where necessary to have, uh, to receive feedback from the users so that the users are given the opportunity to say, you know, 
we don't actually like this thing that you did in a configuration. Uh, it's not, could we change this, you know, and to make those incremental changes uh, if necessary. Process ownership, it can sit with, where I've seen it work best is when it sits with a quality function. Might not be pure QA in terms of what most people think of, in terms of, you know, batch release, uh, you know, managing dossiers of products, uh, management of the quality management system of the cappers and change controls. Um, it really, it sits best as a sort of a, a sister function. Um, sometimes it's called QAIT. Uh, so it can sort of be a sort of a sister department to the main QA team, or sometimes it's a sister department to the IT department. It doesn't really matter too much, but what's really important is to have those uh, dedicated process owners. Okay. Yeah. And the... Uh... So let's say we have um, a smaller company and they still uh, don't have a, a data governance uh, policy and they're not sure if all their systems are compliant and they haven't uh, put it on their audit agenda because maybe they don't have enough uh, specialists. So what are the best resources uh, for people who uh, start uh, in this uh, area of, of expertise and they need to do an internal audit or they need to validate uh, uh, such a system? What are the best resources? Uh, well, certainly watching things like you know, like you produce, yeah. Um, absolutely, you know, look out there and see uh, what should we be doing as the as the gold standard. Go to uh, data integrity seminars, uh, CSV uh, meeting seminars. You know, the Gantt forums are good. Uh, read all the guidance. There's an awful lot of data integrity guidance out there. Um, whether it's, uh, you know, the, the FDA in 2018 put out a really good uh, Q&A on data integrity. Uh, the MHRA put out a two-part uh, data integrity guidance in 2016 and then brought it up to date in 2018. Uh, there's a GAMP good practice guide specifically about data integrity. The PICS guidance is excellent. Um, read all of that, um, build up a picture of how good data management could be uh, done within your company and where resources sh is short, in short supply. Um, put, the, put the best people that you have on it with those, that sort of combined skill set that we talked about. Uh, you may not have the ideal person or people, but at least if you can demonstrate that you're on that path to good process ownership and to you can demonstrate that you have gone through processes that ensure that you purchase the right thing, that you set systems up in the right ways, that you have 
data integrity training at your company, whether it's an e-learning or you know someone just in a classroom reading reading you know out of their notes, better than none. Mm-hmm. So. But then you know, it's small smaller companies usually have less systems as well, so that helps. And actually, sometimes it's the smaller companies that can really do the really good stuff, like having a limbs interface. You know, so for example, uh, a smaller company may just have one uh, product; they may have one laboratory instrument or a couple of laboratory instruments to do the QC testing um, and a limb system. And they may just do the same tests day in, day out, over and over. And uh, for companies like that, limbs interface is much more of a realistic proposition. Or in the case of a factory system, you know, interface with uh, a factory database, um, because it's simpler to uh, implement because of the nature of the company's work. Larger companies with multiple system types, it gets more complicated. So um, actually, smaller companies often do better than the bigger ones. Mm-hmm. Uh, probably less uh, politics and um, they have a better overview over their equipment. And as you said, the less uh, less systems and it means it's easier in the end uh, when you have uh, less systems and um, probably the newer companies the younger companies they have also um, uh, it's also good that they probably are buying the newer equipment and uh, they're not using equipment that is uh, 20-30 years old and it's uh, much easier uh, to qualify and uh, validate than uh, an older equipment that uh, doesn't have those uh, software packages that uh, you mentioned. Yeah, and um, that's certainly true. And also in terms of, uh, you know, Companies keeping keeping equipment for too long—that's that, also an issue. Mm-hmm. Um, there's, the, I think, there's a misconception that you know, if we don't if we don't change this system for a modern one, then we don't have to worry about all of that data integrity stuff because our system isn't capable of that uh, level of control anyway. Mm-hmm. Is it really an excuse for, uh, you know, it's kind of, it's burying your head in the sand really, isn't it? And do you want to be in a situation where you're saying to an auditor, well, our system's 12 years old, uh, therefore we don't have to be concerned about electronic signatures or having really effective data integrity controls. It's not an excuse really, you know, auditors, uh, no regulators know that what's out there, what's available, you know, what's a good factory system, uh, what's a good uh, infrared spectrophotometer. Um, then you know they're clever people. Um, so there's nowhere to hide really. 
in this day and age of sophisticated systems of you know and like i said all the all the guidance is there you know pleading ignorance isn't an option either <laughs> um, so yeah and ultimately it comes back to patient safety you know it, it sounds uh it sounds so simple but you know just to uh companies do well to ask themselves the question you know would with all the systems and the processes that have gone into this medicinal product would i be happy for one of my uh, family members to take this medicine and mm. um, patient safety is, is the bottom line yeah and uh, uh, you mentioned that uh, there are companies that uh, say okay we have uh, uh, equipment that is uh, Is older and we don't have to uh, this, this do this and this and this because it doesn't output data it doesn't uh, keep data uh, but uh, let's say you have a new equipment that does it but it also allows you to change data so how much acceptance uh, Uh, do auditors have if you say them okay we know that you can uh, change the data here but our procedure said that you still you uh, you document you document it manually would it save you because they say okay it's the same as working with an old system we just uh, manually document everything and we know that you can uh, change the data it's uh, there it has no backup there is no audit trail but we just uh, copy it manually yeah so <coughs> those um obviously the gold standard is having the, the forcing the user's behavior that's the gold standard by having the restrictions on the pc the software um and to have all of the uh, good stuff you know the audit trails and so on and the inability for the users to do anything bad that's the gold standard the reality of course as you've iterated Is, is quite often different and there's quite a lot of use of hybrid systems whereby okay the uh, the bulk of the process is executed with software and it can be very good software with all the compliance features that you would want but quite often there is a still a paper element whether it's a manufacturing uh, formula uh, Um, you know manufacturing record where details from that are manually entered into the software um, and a could in when we think about laboratory systems um, okay you might have the the software telling the laboratory instrument what to do and processing the data and reporting the data but what about the preparation of the uh, the samples to to analyze on the system still done in a lab notebook or sometimes an electronic lab notebook uh, or a preparation worksheet wherever those hybrid systems exist traceability is the key so i'm glad you mentioned that because what really is needed uh where hybrid system well in any system anyway but certainly where hybrid especially where hybrid systems are used wherever there's a paper element is good data standards so you know for example 
through a laboratory system. The preparation of the solutions to put into vials, to inject onto the instrument, to do the analysis, that preparation worksheet should have a unique reference. That unique reference should find its way into the software to link it. Mm-hmm. So it's all tied together. Yeah. You know, so you don't. Uh, so you cannot just throw away the paper. So it's uh, every page of it is uh, traced. So you cannot just say, "Oh, okay, this page is missing, and I don't know why." Yeah, for records to be complete is crucial. To have traceability, so wherever paper documents are used, the they have unique identifiers, and that those identifiers are included in the software. Um, quite often, uh, samples uh, have unique identifying numbers. They can also be used in the software. So it leaves no doubt what samples have been tested, by who, when, why, uh, what methodology has been used. Uh, if any calcula- automated calculations have been performed on the data, have those calculations been validated? Who can change those calculations? Are they locked? So, you know, really we're, we're talking about the output of any process, whether it's factory or laboratory, the, the data that comes out, that, you, you have to be able to demonstrate that there is sufficient control in the system, in the process, so that you can state that that output is true. Um, and there's various different ways, you know, it's about the software, it's about the quality culture, it's about good procedures. It's the whole, it's, it's all of it together. We need the uh, so we have data integrity and uh, and people must uh, uh, show that uh, it complies and uh, they must do the validation phases and it's very crucial part and I think it would be great uh, really to talk about it uh, um, a bit deeper in uh, in another uh, talk which we will uh, for sure uh, make and. Uh, I want to thank you very much, um, Daniel, for uh, that uh, uh, great uh, talk, that information. And uh, let me ask you, if people want uh, to uh, reach uh, reach you and ask you more uh, questions about uh, the issues, how can they uh, reach you and contact you? Uh, well, uh, my, my company, Data Integral, uh, we have a website. Uh, so if you Google Data Integral, uh, you'll find us. Uh, you can... Uh, get in touch via the website. Uh, our uh, business email address is enquiries at dataintegral.co.uk. Uh, you'll find me on LinkedIn. Uh, feel free to connect on LinkedIn. Um, we have a company Facebook. Um, there's another Data Integral, a uh, German company. Um, so perhaps search on Data Integral Limited. Uh, which identifies us as the UK uh, company. Um, yeah, any questions, um, you know, any recommendations for good guidance documents to read and so on, I'm happy to uh, 
happy to respond. Okay, perfect. So, uh, Daniel Milik, uh, thank you very much, and uh, we'll see each other. Yeah, thanks, Ian. Um, good to talk to you, and um, yeah, look forward to talking about uh, CSV with you soon. Perfect. Thank you for uh, watching and listening to this episode of the Qualitox podcast. I hope uh, you enjoyed it. If you did, consider sharing it, and don't forget to subscribe, stay compliant, and see you in the next one.